What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 15 of the Strength Matrix podcast. My name is Josh Setledge, and I am the BJJ Strength Coach, and I'm here to help you roll harder on the mat, train smarter in the gym, so you can win more matches and get injured less. We have another Q&A episode coming to you guys. We got some great questions from the audience here. But before we dive right into it, I do want to let you know that this episode, just like every other episode, is brought to you by thestrengthmatrix.com. Strength Matrix is your one-stop shop for all of your strength and conditioning training and education needs for jiu-jitsu athletes. So if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you want to level up your performance on the mat, you want to get injured less, you want to win more matches, you want to be a better grappling athlete overall, go ahead and head over to thestrengthmatrix.com or click the link in the description of this podcast episode and you can download a free four-week strength program which is designed to help enhance your overall grappling game so you can win more matches and get injured less. All you got to do is just go to www.thestrengthmatrix.com or you can just click the link in the description of this podcast episode. You can put in your email and it's going to automatically deliver that training program to your inbox that way you can get started on training and ultimately be a better grappling athlete because of it. So thank you, strengthmatrix.com, for supporting this episode. And let's go ahead and dive right into this Q&A. We got 10 questions here. First one is from at Nick underscore Ellsbury. His question is, any reason why trap bar deadlifts shouldn't completely replace a conventional or sumo deadlift? And my response to that is no. There is no reason why the trap bar should completely replace a barbell deadlift done with a conventional stance or a sumo stance. The main reason being is because the trap bar deadlift is a tool and it provides a lot of great benefits for grappling athletes, and I'm a big fan of it, but it shouldn't just be the end-all be-all of deadlift movements for jiu-jitsu athletes. I could see an argument on why certain athletes would want to avoid conventional deadlifts, which is where your feet are close together as much as possible. And whenever they have the opportunity to do conventional deadlifts, they just switch to a trap bar. I could see that. Um, but I still think that athletes should be able to incorporate and, and successfully incorporate trap bar deadlifts, conventional deadlifts, and sumo deadlifts. The main reason why the sumo deadlift in particular is so important for grappling athletes is because it is a wide stance movement and it really helps strengthen the lateral strength of your hips and your lower body, especially um, your ability to open up your hips and be strong from that position and produce a lot of force into the floor. If you think about any time you're cutting side to side, or anytime you have a wider stance to have a greater base or a greater foundation to defend sweeps or to set up guard passes and takedowns, the sumo deadlift has such a great transfer and carryover to those movements for sports. And it's just important, at least in my opinion, that every athlete be able to successfully sumo deadlift, conventional deadlift, and trap bar deadlift. So as much of, as a fan as I am of trap bar deadlifts, it in no way should completely replace conventional or sumo deadlifts. It's going to be dependent on each athlete, which version of deadlift is going to work best for them and when they're going to use it. But to say that, um, just as a big as a big sweeping statement across all athletes in jiu-jitsu just to get rid of conventional deadlifts or sumo deadlifts i don't agree with that at all so that's my take on that next question from at underscore muhammad underscore allah 
at what age do you recommend kids who are in jujitsu to start strength workouts and what type? Great question. If kids are in jujitsu, they should already start strength training. Now, how we would go about strength training for and structuring that for kids is going to be so different than how we would do it from adults. There's a great book that I read last year called Periodization by Tudor Bumpa, and I forget the guy's first name, but Bazicelli or Buzicelli. Um, and in that book, they talk about uh, the development of all these Olympic athletes across all these different sports. And they looked at the athletes who performed the best and medaled at a, a certain Olympic year. I can't remember if it was the Athens Olympics or if it was the Sydney Olympics. Um, I'll have to go back and look. But anyway, they took this Olympic year for the Summer Olympics and they looked at all the athletes that were on the podium and they did a survey of all those athletes and they looked at what did those athletes do from the time they were very, very, very young all the way up until the point where they you know, won a gold medal. And most of those athletes didn't specialize in the sport that they meddled in until they were in high school, the later years of high school. When they were a kid in elementary school and in middle school, they did everything, everything, every sport you could think of. If they won a gold medal in the 100-meter dash, when they were a kid, they swam, they did gymnastics, they played football, they played baseball, they did all sorts of stuff. And they didn't, really didn't specialize in anything until they were around 15 or 16 years of age when they decided like, okay, I'm really going to push for an Olympic medal in this particular activity. And so you could say the same thing in the same route applies for when we talk about strength and conditioning for kids. So as a child in jujitsu, you don't want to specialize them in strength and conditioning that's only going to help their jujitsu or funnel them into one method of strength and conditioning as a kid. They should just be kids. I'm a firm believer that um, there is no scientific literature or evidence that at least that I can find that supports that lifting weights at a young age is going to stunt their growth. That's a common uh, fallacy that a lot of people believe, but it's been out. It's outdated data. That's just not true anymore. Outside of the event that you drop a, a 45 pound plate and break a growth plate, lifting weights is not going to stunt your growth. That being said, I don't think kids need maximal heavy lifting super early uh, in their development. I think they should just be kids. I think they should, you know, if your kid is six to nine years old doing jujitsu, just have them be kids. Let them run around, teach them how to run around and climb on the jungle gym, do pull-ups, do kettlebell swings. If you like want something really structured, just teach them how to pick stuff up and carry it. Just blue collar yard work and just get them construction, construction strong. Uh, there doesn't need to be a whole lot of like specialization and they're like i'm going to teach my kids how to back squat we're going to do max effort back squats when they're 10 years old it's like okay they should learn how to squat they should learn how to properly do a bench press or a clean or a pull up and things like that but the the spread and the width of all the different exercises that you're doing for kids should be very wide. And at the end of the day, it should be really fun for them. It should just be an activity where they just feel like they're playing for 45 to 60 minutes. 
as they get a little bit older and as they hit puberty, that's where more of the deliberate and structured strength training can happen. But that's kind of a different conversation for a different day. Just focusing on what kids should do who are prepubescent. Keep it fun. Keep them active. Have them do all the fun kid stuff. Climb on monkey bars. Play tag. Sprint throw things at each other, uh, tackle each other, pick things up and carry it as far as fast as you can. Have them learn how to swim, have them learn how to ride bikes, skateboard, like all that stuff. I know for me, like I'm definitely not the greatest athlete who's ever lived, but I argue that I do have a pretty good athletic base. I'd say most of that came from my parents just letting me and my brother be kids. We would go out and ride bikes and skateboard or rollerblade or ride scooters constantly in the summer we would do that all like almost every week and go to the skate park we would do martial arts where we were doing tumbling and like uh, floor gymnastic stuff handstands all the, all those things we played soccer we played basketball my brother played football and baseball for a season just we exposed ourselves to all these different types of activities which created this really good foundation for us to learn new skills when we actually started funneling our expertise into, at least for me, grappling sports. My brother did uh, wrestling for a long time as well, but it just gave us a great foundation to work from. Next question from at Reptile Frenzy LLC. Sick name, bro. Um, his question is, what do I take as food for a competition. I don't want to gas out due to lack of nutrition. It's great that you're thinking of this, man. It's great that you're planning ahead and considering this. So this is a subject that I talk about in uh, the strength matrix. On the strength matrix, I have a full competitor's guide, which has different lesson modules that walk you through every single step of the way on how to sign up for your first tournament, what weight class, to, how to pick the right weight class, what division you should do, how to design a training camp, what your training should look like on the mat, what to do when you get there, how to warm up, what to bring in your bag, all that stuff. So if you want the full breakdown on what to do for a competition, I highly suggest you check out that competitor's guide. But as far as what food you should take, take whatever food you normally eat on a training day. You don't want to change things up the day of a competition or the even the week before a competition, you don't want to make too many changes because you don't want to introduce a new stimulus to your body that your body's going to get thrown off because it has to adjust or adapt to something new. So even if your diet is terrible and you normally eat fast food junk all throughout training camp, the day of the competition, it's too late to eat, start eating healthy now. So you just bring the same crappy you know, gas station junk food that you had been eating for the last 12 weeks, bring that to the competition. After the competition, I highly, highly, highly suggest that you clean up your diet, highly suggest that you choose much better food options. But when it comes to what you do the day of the competition, just keep it the same as what you've done for the past eight to 12 weeks leading up to this competition. Assuming that you're eating healthy and assuming that you have a sound nutritional uh, discipline, what I would suggest is making sure that you get in plenty of protein before you leave for the competition. You don't want to just be void of protein. So like, but keep it, you want to have protein, but make it easily digestible protein. So something like eggs, something like um, an easily digestible whey protein shake or smoothie is a great option. And then when you're actually at the competition, think of food that can be eaten in small quantities that's very easily digestible, that has a decent amount of carbohydrates, 
fat and um you also want to get your electrolytes in there as well sometimes you can just mix those electrolyte powders in your water bottle so for me this is an example of what i would take and i've been doing this since i was wrestling and it's worked great the morning like right after weigh-ins if i could weigh in really early like four hours or five hours before my match after that i'll have a typical breakfast which would be five eggs and either a cup of white rice or some oatmeal sometimes i'm not super hung that hungry to have five eggs but i'll still make the five egg breakfast with rice or oatmeal and i'll just eat until i'm satisfied but not overly full then if I have time and then I kind of go throughout my day, keep sipping on water, all that stuff. As far as what snacks to bring in between matches or if you're doing multiple divisions, so you're going to compete ghee in the morning and then no ghee in the afternoon, what I would suggest is having something that has easily digestible carbohydrates, something like white rice. I just bring a tub of white rice and snack on that. And you can just pour more salt on that to get your help, you know, improve your electrolytes and things of that nature. And then things that are uh, also contain a little bit of fat. And so this is one of my favorite things to do is I just get dried fruit and cashews and almonds, make my own trail mix. I'm not a big fan of going to the store and getting trail mix because oftentimes they put a lot of other chemicals and crap in there that I'm not used to consuming. I don't want sunflower oil on my uh, on my nuts or on the seeds that I'm having. I'd rather just have them raw, shake it up in a bag with some salt and some dried fruit. Dried, uh, You can dry it yourself. You can get raw dried fruit from the store, whatever works best for you. But that's a pretty good snack because you get the, the fast digesting carbohydrates and sugar from the fruit. And then you get the slower digesting um, carbs and fat from the nuts themselves. So hope that answers your question, my man. Next question is from at Ricky underscore Ben 77. What is the best supplementary supplementary cardio for jujitsu? I think I answered this in the last podcast or maybe the one before, but a quick review would be the best conditioning that you can do for jujitsu is just more jujitsu. But if you're going to supplement your conditioning outside of jujitsu, recognize that during your jujitsu training and during your jujitsu practices, that is going to be your lower intensity, longer duration training. And so when we're away from jujitsu, we want to focus on shorter duration, higher intensity conditioning. So that's like your high intensity interval training, your different sprints and sprint intervals, which I'm a big fan of. So one format that I recommend that a lot of athletes can do is uh, 15 seconds on, 45 to 90 seconds off. So you go really hard in the paint on some cardio machine for 15 seconds, and then you rest. Just completely rest for 45 to 90 seconds. Try to bring your heart rate back down as much as you can, and then be ready to do another high-intensity sprint for 15 seconds again after that. Next question from at Tom Fez 3 Any good workout plans for beginners in BJJ? Yes. The one I plugged at the start of this episode that the Strength Matrix is providing for all the listeners of this podcast. I would, if you're a beginner in jujitsu and you need a good workout plan, I would highly suggest you check that out. It's four weeks long, two days a week. So you're not going to spend tons of time in the gym. You don't have to completely rearrange your entire training schedule. It's just two days a week of simple yet sinisterly effective strength and conditioning that's going to help you build strength that will actually translate and carry over to jujitsu so you can enhance your jujitsu performance. Next question is from Molly 
H. Merrill, what is your favorite and least favorite exercise? Oh, man. I, I freaking love this question. And I will talk about this subject with everybody because I, I love hearing what people's favorite and least favorite exercises are. So favorite exercise is pretty easy and it's kind of a toss-up depending on the day like do you guys ever have that have those days where you just wake up and you're like i'm freaking deadlifting today like it's my favorite exercise today but then you might wake up another day and be like you know what i want to get after some heavy bent over rows like it's just depending on the day your favorites can change i feel like at least but i'd say most consistently my favorite exercise is sumo deadlift I love deadlifting heavy. There's there's something that feels so good about picking up something heavy. And maybe it's my favorite because that's my best lift. So if I want to lift the most amount of weight my body is capable of lifting, I'm going to do a sumo deadlift with it. I think that's really freaking fun. Um, but I also, I also love anything uh, that just blows your legs apart. Like if I can do like a really hard leg workout – a lot of those exercises I find really fun. So doing uh, doing hard sets of a hack squat with chains I think is really fun. Doing hard sets of a uh, safety squat bar, close stance squat, so like really loading up the quads. Or let's see, some of the best, some of the hardest leg training that I ever did was during the uh, – pandemic and during uh the lockdown and i was doing sets of eight eight sets of eight a high bar heel elevated back squat and i'm telling you my quads were like getting ripped off the bone not literally figuratively and i loved that there's nothing like hard leg training that just feels so freaking good so any i'd say like number one exercise numero uno uh would be sumo deadlift and then very close second favorite is any leg exercise whether it's for hamstrings quads i'd throw glutes in there also any lower body exercise that's gonna like put you on death's door that's my next favorite least favorite is least favorite kind of changes because some exercises are my least favorite not because they're hard but because they're boring like i just i'm so sick and tired of doing like reverse hypers. I know they're great for you and I, I do them often, but they're just boring. Um, sometimes dragging a sled is boring. Uh, arm training, like doing bicep curls and sometimes uh, like cable curls, I think that's boring. Oh, you know what? I, here, here's a good one. I really don't like using the pec deck machine. The pec deck, if you guys don't know it's like a it's like a machine fly so imagine you're doing a chest fly your arms go out like a t you get a really big stretch of the pecs you bring them together and you squeeze the dumbbells together at the top or squeeze the cable handles together at the top they have a machine that will replicate that movement for you uh, called a pec deck and i freaking hate it the pec deck i think sucks um i think that might and the reason why i think it sucks is because for me i'm pretty short i'm a smaller guy i'm five six and i only weigh 160 pounds um even though i feel like i'm pretty strong for my size using certain machines at the gym i just can't get a lot of i just don't find a lot of benefit out of them for me because they're made for people who are either a little bit bigger or whose arms are a little bit longer 
And so I get into these machines like the pec deck and I just can't feel the same like pump in my chest and the same activation in my chest that I could if I were using dumbbells or if I were using a cable machine. So pec deck is least favorite. Great question though. Next question. This is from m.a.q underscore 93. Good luck hacking into that guy's Instagram. He's got a hard name to remember. Uh, his question is, is there any significance to working on delts for BJJ? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the deltoid is the primary muscle of your shoulder. So if someone has like really capped shoulders, it's pro- it's the, the capped portion that you see is going to be the deltoid. And there's three primary sections of the deltoid. You have the anterior delt, which is the front of the deltoid. You have the medial delt, which is going to be the side of the deltoid. And then you have the posterior delt, which is the the backside. And um, I would say that deltoid training is very important for jujitsu, but I would encourage jujitsu athletes to focus more so on the medial delt, which is the side delt and the posterior delt or the backside of the delt. The main reason being so much of the stuff that we do in jujitsu recruits the front delt. And so we get so much work for our front delt anytime we're hip escaping, anytime we're hand fighting, anytime we're, um, you know, feeding in chokes and things like that. We get so much work for our front delts just grappling, but we don't always get a ton of work for our medial delt or the side delt and the rear delt. So some exercises that I would suggest specifically for the side delt and the rear delt would be just a a dumbbell side raise or a dumbbell lateral raise where your arm starts at your pocket and you raise your arm up to the side holding a dumbbell. That's a great exercise. Um, Something to specifically isolate the rear delt would be a band pull apart or a face pull of some kind. And then that would that would isolate the different sections of the deltoid, but training the deltoid as a whole, doing big compound movements like overhead press, Z press, military press, dumbbell Z press, I'm a big fan of those as well. And those are very important for jujitsu. So yes, there is a lot of significance to working on your deltoids. Next question from Furkan Kermiz. Zyogland. Man, that's a freaking mouthful, bro. Uh, F-U-R-K-A-N-K-I-R-M-I-Z-I-O-G-L-A-N. <laughs> Whoever can pronounce that, uh, good freaking luck. Anyway, their question is, what are some good exercises for core slash abs? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, so when we talk about core training, trunk training, abdominal training, there is a lot going on in your midsection. So if we talk about ab training specifically, we're talking about the abdom- the rectus abdominis, which is your six-pack muscles. So you look at uh, you know, Chris Hemsworth when he's Thor and he's freaking jacked. Uh, most people look at his abs. That's the rectus abdominis. That is one group of muscles that make up for your entire core. And you should definitely train all of your core, not just the muscles on the front that you can see. So when we talk about core training and trunk training, if you think about everything from like your ribs to your hips, that band 
uh, circling around your whole body. You want to train all of that stuff because that stuff is very important for um, stabilizing your spine and creating stability when we're doing some of these other movements. So we want to make sure that we're not just training the front for the rectus abdominis. We want to train the sides for the obliques. We want to train the back, which would be the spinal erectors and the uh, QL. We want to train the muscles that we can't see, like the transverse abdominis, the serratus. Um, there are all these little muscles that are around your, your belly button, your sides, and your low back that all contribute to stabilizing the spine, helping your body brace for impact on certain things and helping you move as an athlete. So some good exercises that you could do for your core would be heavy carries. So heavy farmer walks, do you doing two handles at a time or doing a one handle at a time. You can do uh, heavy compound movements. Those are also great for strengthening your core. So zertra squat, deadlift, back squat, front squat, uh, RDL, heavy lunges, um, Z press, all that stuff. Those are great for strengthening your core, even though they don't specifically target the core or specifically target the muscles of the core. Now, if we're just talking about the abs or just talking about the six pack muscles, those are going to be a little bit more isolation exercises or a little bit more focused on isolating that particular muscle group. And so you could do things like weighted crunches for the upper abdominals and uh, hanging leg raises for the lower abdominals. Those are two of my favorites. Next question from Byron Bierce. How did you like the Batman? It's the best one so far in my opinion. Yes, sir. Dude, I freaking loved the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson. Um, I, I, I Don't get me started, bro. I, I could literally do an entire two-hour podcast just talking about how freaking good Matt Reeves, uh, who is a director, did on uh, the new Batman movie. I loved it. I know people, some people hated it, but let me tell you this. I think the Batman is an absolute masterpiece. It is my favorite movie of all time, of all time. And that's, that's crazy to say because for the past I'm 25 years old, so I'd say for the past 17 years, my favorite movie has been uh, Rocky, and at other points in my life, it's been The Dark Knight. So it flip-flops. Depending on the day I wake up, it's either going to, and you ask what my favorite movie is, it's either going to be Rocky or The Dark Knight. That all changed when I saw The Batman in theaters and IMAX with my wife. Holy crap. It was so freaking good. The way it was shot in the like the cinematography aspects of it really like made me feel like it was a comic book coming to life and it felt finally like a detective story i know there were some detective elements in some of the other batman movies but one of the main reasons why i love batman as a character is because he is the world's greatest detective he is not the world's greatest action hero he is not john mcclain he is not john wick even though he does a lot of dope stuff uh, like John Wick or like Rambo or like uh, John McClane. That's not, that's not, that's just one aspect of his character, right? At heart, he is a detective. And the thing is, that this is what people I found were criticizing the movie a lot with. They're like, bro, he's such a, like, he's so emo. He's an emo vampire who's playing Batman. And I don't think people recognize 
and maybe if they don't read the comics they just can only can compare it to the portrayals of bruce wayne from michael keaton val kilmer george clooney and christian bale and adam west so i could see how this take from edward or uh, uh, gosh i almost called him his twilight name robert pattinson excuse me i could see how this portrayal would be a little bit of a curveball but it is very true to the source material batman is a loner bruce wayne is a facade there's a big debate uh that a lot of people have like is bruce wayne dressing up to be batman or does batman dress up to be bruce wayne and i wholeheartedly believe that batman is the true identity and he dresses up to be bruce wayne and i think they portrayed that very well in the new movie and to see that bruce wayne was this recluse he was depressed he was angry he was or maybe not depressed but he was definitely vengeful and angry and spiteful towards the city that took his parents away from him and he had all this aggression and this hurt in his life that he was exercising against the the crime of gotham city i thought that was a really cool take and i thought that the fact that they put it in a detective in a detective noir story was a really fresh take one of my favorite movies of all time is seven i felt like this movie was the seven version of batman and there are some aspects of seven in there there are some aspects of silence of the lambs in there um there are some aspects from some of my favorite batman stories of all time like batman earth one uh batman the long halloween i freaking love those books and it was really really awesome to see and this is getting a little long-winded so i'll just wrap it up and say the batman was the greatest movie of the year that i've seen number one movie of the year so far in my opinion and we're only in july and we've seen some really kick-ass movies so far this year so greatest movie i've ever seen in my entire life my favorite movie one of the best movies of all time and my final thought is that everyone's talking crap not everyone a lot of people are talking crap about it now and they're saying like oh it's not the dark knight still not better than the dark knight and if that's what you think that's fine that's okay but i believe that in 10 years we're going to look back at this movie and realize that it was an absolute masterpiece and they don't make them like this movie anymore so that's all i got to say about that last question from at ama nerbati what is the most optimal diet for bjj great question and it's a pretty simple answer and that's going to be whatever diet is going to work best for you so you know people ask like what's the best wrestling diet what's the best jujitsu diet what diet should i follow you should follow the diet that you're going to stick to and you should follow the diet that's going to allow you to uh maintain that diet for as, as long as you need to it's going to be realistic and helping you get closer to your goals and it's going to contribute to you enhancing your overall performance if you don't follow those three things your diet freaking sucks if your diet is not helping you perform better your diet sucks if your diet is not maintainable like you can only stick to that diet for a week before you fall off the wagon your diet sucks and if your diet isn't contributing to you being uh it's if it's not helping you be successful and reach and get you closer to your goals then it sucks it's just the wrong diet for you that's just the way it is so when you ask what is the most optimal diet for bjj assess what your goals are and assess what your hope is to achieve and the performance that you're looking to have in jujitsu and then play around with different diets and find what's going to work best for you to achieve that for me i've played around with so many different diets over the years i've been training since 
I'm 25 now and I started training when I was 12 years old. So I've been training for the last 13 years and I've tried a ton of different diets over the years. And the one that I've found that works best for me is one that is it is influenced a lot by Stan Efferding's vertical diet, but it's kind of my own diet. So I pulled from all these different principles uh, from the carnivore diet and from keto and from paleo and from if it fits your macros and the vertical diet. And I've pulled from all those different things that I've tried. And then I kind of created my own diet. So my own diet for me is lots of white rice, lots of red meat, lots of eggs, lots of coffee, lots of fruit, and lots of oatmeal and Greek yogurt. Those are kind of like the main foods that I consume on a, on a very regular basis. And for someone else, like my wife, that's not her preferred diet. She doesn't do jujitsu, but let's say she did do jujitsu. She doesn't perform well or feel her best on that diet. She likes to have a little bit more variety in the foods that she eats. Um, there are certain foods like milk and some heavy cheeses that don't sit that well with her stomach, and that's okay. So she found that eating cheese and drinking milk are not optimal for her. Likewise, she likes to consume a lot more different uh, carbohydrate sources and different vegetables that don't always sit the sit well with me. So you have to find what's going to work best for you and play around. Go through the trial and error of testing things out. Add one thing at a time for a week or two. See how it helps. See how it hurts. And then make changes from there and continue moving forward in that process. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Strength Matrix podcast. Thank you guys for uh, submitting all these awesome questions. I've been really enjoying this new format of the podcast, just grabbing 10 questions from you guys and hanging hanging out for 30 to 45 minutes answering them. So I think I'm going to stick with this for a while. If you'd like to submit a specific question to the Strength Matrix, all you got to do is just submit the questions on Instagram uh, to the little question boxes that I do. I try to do the, I do usually do about two or three Q&As a week. So if you miss one, just put it in the next one. Hopefully I'll get it in there for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you found value from this podcast episode, I'd really appreciate it if you screenshotted it and shared it with some training partners, shared it on your social media and tagged your boy at Joshua Setledge. And I will catch you guys later. Peace.